everyone just expected me to perform all the time. And I remember going into 2019, mentally, I was like very nervous. I, even the day before, I had a panic attack and I couldn't really breathe. I just felt like I'm carrying the world on my shoulders. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Abdol, a podcast series from the National News dedicated to Arab athletes and their respective journeys towards the Paris 2024 Olympics. I'm your host, Rima Bullil, and today I am joined by the most successful swimmer in Egyptian history, a two-time world championship medalist and holder of multiple African records, Farida Osman. Farida exploded onto the scene as a 16-year-old when she became Egypt's first junior world swimming champion back in 2011. She has since become one of the best sprinters in the world, shattered numerous records and participated in three Olympic Games. Farida has made the final in the 50-meter butterfly in six consecutive world championships, and during her collegiate career in the U.S., she swam times barely anyone has ever clocked. Ahead of her fourth appearance at the Games, I speak to Farida about what it's like being the face of Egyptian swimming for so long, the obstacles she had to overcome, her heartbreaking Tokyo Olympics, the brutal backlash that followed, and how she rebounded from that disappointment to get back in contender form. Expectations on Farida are huge every time a major swimming competition comes around, and Paris will be no different. How does she handle it all? Join us on this new episode of Abdal to find out. Farida Osman, it is a true honor to have you with me on the podcast, and I'm so happy we managed to make this work, especially how busy you are, so thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Me too. Farida, when I was preparing for this uh, podcast, I realized, I was looking back at everything I've written about you, which I write a lot about you. Uh, <laughs> and I realized that the first time I met you was 12 years ago, in 2011, almost exactly 12 years ago, because it was December 2011. You had won the gold at the World Junior Championships just a few months earlier in Peru. Yeah, and I remember at the time, uh, yeah. yeah, I had written about it and, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, there's an Egyptian girl who's barely 16 and she won gold at the world championships and you set a meet record and all that. And then I got the opportunity to go to Doha for the Arab Games and Arab Games is like a mini Olympics of all these different sports to people who don't yeah. know. But swimming was one of so many sports, but uh, I was lucky enough to go and you were 16 and you won seven gold medals. Against grown-ups, mind you, this is not juniors. <laughs> and you were the, you had the most medals of all athletes of all the sports there. And I'm just wondering, when you look back at that 16-year-old, what were your ambitions at the time? What were, what's oh in your God. mind? 12 years ago, it was literally, I think, my junior year going into my senior year of high school. And then I decided I wanted to go to the U.S. for college. So this is when I remember just like the recruiting process. Which college do I want to go to? I need to research here, talk to this coach and look at the programs. And I'm a sprinter. I swim the 50 meter and the 100 meters. So I think like in that time, it was just stressful for me, but also my family because we're honestly very close and like we do everything together. So anything I go through, they go through. Obviously that has ups and downs, but I think like that time was a very stressful period because... I knew that I want to go to the U.S., but I just didn't know where or not even where to begin. I think like I was one of the first ones, like the first Egyptian to go through that recruiting process to go to the university in the U.S. 
So, oh my God, I need to start doing pros and cons. What am I looking for in a U.S. college? I want to be good in swimming, but also academics is very important to me too. So just like researching and that dream of going to the U.S. to, the US to train, but also study was definitely something I was thinking about during that time. And like I said, as a family, we all went through it. Like we all went through the recruiting process and I decided to choose Cal because it was very strong in swimming, but also very strong in academics. And my brother went to Cal too. So we were familiar with the campus. We know what to expect. And the coach, Terry McKeever, and like the swim team, they're very good in the sprint program. And I'm a sprinter. So I just felt like this was the perfect fit for me to go. <laughs> you had to, t you turned down some really flashy schools to go to Cal, which is a great school. I know Berkeley is amazing, but I, not many people can say no to Harvard, but you did, right? I know. <laughs> I know. I did. Whenever I tell anyone about that story, they think I'm crazy. Like even other family members, like my uncle and my grandmother, like, you turned out Harvard for swimming. And I'm like, that's the thing. I really want to choose a school that was really good in swimming, but also good in academics. And I felt if I went to Harvard, it would have been literally just school. Swimming would take a back burner. I would not improve. I just felt like my life would be more as a student, which is great for some people. But I think for me, I just wanted to do both. They're both equally important to me. And so much credit for you and your family to be not know much about the process and everything and, and make that call. I think that was awesome. One thing, I have a funny story, speaking of your family. In, um, <laughs> when I saw you in Doha, they were handing out a, a, a bonus prize to the two athletes, the, 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 the male and the female athlete with the most medals. Yeah. And it was you and I think Osama al-Maluli, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. At the time. Yes. And they wanted to give you $35,000 uh, as a paycheck, as like a bonus. And yeah. I remember when I saw you, I was like, You're, you're, I mean, you're a 16 year old who just made $35,000. And at the time you weren't really thinking, you were like, yeah, I'm going to buy some shoes and whatever. It was funny. But then you didn't accept, My mom. you didn't accept that money, I but I didn't know. Yeah. And your mom called me freaking out. <laughs> she's a sweet, like, <laughs> she's a sweetheart. Like I really felt that day. It's, it's just so nice when you have the support of the whole family that way. And yeah. your mom called me and she's like, we didn't take the paycheck. And the reason is yeah. you have to maintain your eligibility. I think a lot of people don't yeah. understand that if you're going as an athlete to the States to study and compete for a certain university, you're not supposed to be making money. I know in just the last couple of years, things have changed with the yeah. NIL deals and yeah. things like that. But yeah. it, it, your chance to make money from your sport goes away for the entire period that you're swimming for exactly. college because you have to be an amateur. Which also, there's so many of these details that I'm sure at the time you probably didn't, you weren't even thinking. No, we didn't. No, we didn't even know a lot of the things. We literally just learned as we went. And then with the NCAA rules, they're very strict about prize money and you can't really accept money from anything. So that's why we declined the money. And then like now, a few years later, people can make money even though they're in college. I'm like, oh, of course, not my time. But you you now paved the way. Okay. You paved the way. I, I tell every athlete who went to college, I tell them, at least you were part of the change somehow. <laughs> yeah, the change for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. No, we were like very nervous about if we're missing any details. Let's see, my mom would read and research and just to make sure we're like, okay to go because I really wanted to go and didn't want to do anything to jeopardize it. So you go to Cal and your brother wasn't there anymore when you went. So I remember that was not very easy for you at the beginning. Can you tell me a little bit why was it challenging at the beginning and what got you through it? 
Yeah, so I think, so my brother had graduated and moved to New York. So he wasn't in California anymore because he was working in Morgan Stanley in New York. And then this is when I came in as a freshman. It was 2013. And I think there's this stigma around fall training. In the fall, training usually is the hardest. Some people don't even make it through fall training. And I'm like, you know what? It's fine. I, I'm good. I'm going to be fine. So I literally go into freshman year. Obviously, everyone on the team is so fast and it's very competitive. If you're not on top of your stuff, there's others who's going to replace you and take over. So I go into like freshman year, my fall training, and I wouldn't keep up with their practices. Because keep in mind, before then, I was training alone in Gazira Club. This is just me and my coach. Everything was tailored to me. Even the intervals and the sets and everything was just for me. So I didn't really have to go through pushing myself and trying to make the interval time because everything was tailored to me. And then I had never really raced people in practice because, again, I'm alone <laughs> in practice. So like it was like a lot of new things so like a new place a new coach like a new environment like just of course as a freshman you struggle because going from being at home with your family and pretty much everyone's helping you to do things so like being on your own and obviously school in Berkeley is not easy at all so balancing both was obviously really hard too so I think like definitely fall of my freshman year is like I would honestly say it was one of the hardest time of my life like I remember like I would call my brother in New York and cry to him and telling him like I don't think I'm, go I'm gonna be able to continue and this is so hard like I've never trained this hard and like my coach was like yelling at me back then Terry was like I love her like she was like really pushing me and like she was such a tough coach but I think that helped me become a better swimmer and obviously a better person because she's been pushing my limits. She taught me how to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I think as a freshman and suddenly being alone and doing everything on your own and then going through this, it was definitely really hard. So I would say like first semester of my freshman year was very hard. But I think once I adjusted and like obviously everyone takes a few months to adjust, once I did, like, I'm also the type of person, like, I would, like, my racing and competition doesn't necessarily correlate to how I train. There are, like, people who are racers and people who are trainers, and I would say I'm definitely a racer, and I think this is when Terry had to learn that I'm actually doing my best in practice, it's just in my racing and my competition, I become a different person. <laughs> This is like when I first, it was my freshman year NCAAs. This is when I performed really well. And I was, I think, the first Egyptian to final in the NCAA. And I think Terry was like, oh my God, you're actually really good. I'm like, I know. I just have been struggling in practice, but I'm doing my best, I swear. That is amazing. But yeah, this, since then, everything has become just like smooth sailing. So something clicks. <laughs> when you when it's a, a race and I think and that that explains a lot that's why you're a champion because and you For had sure. an amazing college career like I, I I don't have all the stats on me right now but I know that you won your first like NCAA title in 2017 at some point I think you swam like the second fastest time in history in one of your races and yeah. things like that so considering how you started and, and how it ended up going I think that's amazing what would you consider to be the highlight for you of your college career? 
I think the highlight of my college career is definitely the people that I met, people on my team. You know what they always say, in 10 years, you're not going to remember your times, you're not going to remember if you finaled, you're not going to remember your medals. It's just you remember the memories that you've made along the way. And I honestly feel like I've gained a lot of like really good friendships. Like even my college roommate, I've lived for with her for four years, but we're still best friends up to until now. We talk and I see her every once in a while. She's from Spain. Like I would say definitely the people and the fact that I was able to improve my swimming, but also having a very good education as well is definitely a bonus. So yeah, I would say that would be the highlight for me. <laughs> so I remember there's this remarkable stat that's out there this year is that you made the final in the 50 meter butterfly at the world championships, the long course one, which is the bigger deal, mm -hmm. six consecutive times. And you, your first final was 2013 and you were only 18 years old and you were the first Arab female to make a final at a world championship. So you did it in 2013, 15, 17, 19, 21, 23. And 20, oh yeah, 21. Uh, yeah, 22, 22 basically. So. Yeah, 21 became uh -oh, 22 uh -oh. because of the COVID. Yeah. And also, just so people who don't understand what a final means, you have to go through heats, which has so many swimmers, especially in the sprint races. There's so many swimmers split into heats. And then you have to be top 16 to make it to semifinals. And then you have to make it in the top eight to make it to the final. You've done that every single world championship since 2013 yeah. till today, which is uh, hello. But also, <laughs> Um, you won two bronze medals in 17 and 19, uh, yeah. sharing a podium with just absolute legends. I love that. Po like it, it was an actually identical podium for both with, Sa yes, with yes, Sarah and Renomi, and Renomi yeah, yeah. which I love because it was like two years apart and it's the same three. Uh, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure you would have wanted it to be a higher step on the podium. It's still remarkable. Yes. Um, so <laughs> I know you. you know all that, but I want people to know everything I just said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What does it take to be this consistent from being an 18-year-old going to a world championship to 10 years later still maintaining your place among the top eight, top seven, actually? T tell me about that. Yeah, so I think, like, people underestimate the amount of effort, like, and, like, honestly, dedication, commitment, just, like, hard work. Like, it honestly takes so much. Like, some people believe that if you've done it once then no you can do it again no problem but like I think like after that 2017 medal like I've really received a lot of like welcome and support and acknowledgements and everything and this is where pretty much my career took the next level but I think like that also put a lot of like expectation and pressure on myself like even everyone just expected me to perform all the time and I remember going into 2019 mentally I was like very nervous. I, even the day before, I had a panic attack and an anxiety and I couldn't really breathe. Or I just felt like literally the world, I'm carrying the world on my shoulders. And it was not a nice feeling. And the fact that I could still do it again in 2019 was honestly something I'm really proud of because it takes twice as much work to achieve the same level as the one before. I think... People underestimate like how much hard work and effort that goes into this just to even stay the same. Even if I get sick for a week, I would take maybe two weeks to come back to where I was. Like that's the thing with swimming. It's really hard because 
even if you miss one one or two days, you, you go back five days. That's the hardest thing about swimming. But I think, honestly, I am proud. Looking back at, at all these finals, I'm proud of how I was able to show up. No matter the circumstances around, whether it was like pressure, expectation, what I'm going through in my personal life is just that consistency really shows, I guess that you would say the depth of my hard work and like how I was really able to give it my all each time. And I think like, I'm proud to say I was able to do that. Obviously, I wanted to medal more. And I always want to meet people's expectations, but at the same time, I know I've did I've done my best. I gave it my all. Whatever happens, and I think that's has been my mentality going into any big competition coming up. I want to touch on that because you became the the face of Egyptian swimming, and I, I don't know if that's something you would seek or not. If it's a role that you thrive in or not, I want to know. First of all, when did you realize that you've become that? Um, and then I want to know what kind of pressure that comes with. <laughs> yeah, so like I said, like 2017 was definitely the first one that I could really feel the pressure and expect. Like, obviously going in and meddling is great because you had no expectation. You like, you don't really know what's going to happen. Obviously, you have a goal and you want to achieve that goal. But if it came, if it didn't, no one would even know. But the fact that I had to repeat it again in 2019, this is when I really felt the pressure and expectation. Like I said, like the night before I did not sleep. I had anxiety. I remember just considering, like, I don't know if you remember, but I scratched the 53 in the morning before the 50 fly because I was not doing well. And I feel like it was just really hard because at the same time, I didn't want to disappoint anyone. I know a lot of people around me worked really hard for this to happen. And at the same time, like, I wanted this for myself too. I wanted to be the only Egyptian who's ever meddled not only once, but twice in world championships. So I think like 2019, after going through the anxiety and like feeling the pressure and pretty much like a panic attack and then having to perform is when I realized like I need to do something with my mental health. And this is when I started working with a sports psychologist because I realized like the expectation, the pressure is just a lot. Like a lot of people don't realize how much weight it carries on you. And being able to perform through that just takes so much mental strength. And I think like going through that with my sports psychologist after we had like a base to, okay, this is what I do when I'm stressed or like when I'm under pressure and nervous, what can we do to overcome that and perform? And I think like, mental health when it comes to sport, swimming or even sports in general plays a big role in an athlete's performance because there are so many things going on in your life like whether it's your personal life your work life just your family just like anything could like really affect how you perform and the, the sad thing about swimming is if something tiny affects you like your race is gone especially that I'm a sprinter I only have 25 seconds to 50 seconds max to like really perform my best and be the best version I can be in that race. So learning to deal with the pressure, learning how to, you know, rationalize like people's expectations. At the end of the day, they weren't really 
part of my journey. The thing is, I always told myself I would accept any criticism or feedback from my inner circle or my support system because they've been through what I've been through and they know what it takes. They know what I've been dealing with. Anyone outside doesn't know what has been going on. So I can't really get upset about that. But if my mom told me something, my coach, like my brother, like anyone who was actually there and has seen everything I've been through and has something to say, I will openly listen. So I want to talk Olympics because I think also for a long time, people didn't realize because your signature race is the 55. And that is not an Olympic distance. And while you're very good in the 50 free and 100 free and 100 fly and you work on that, it's also different. Like you, everyone has a signature race. You're not the only person yeah. who has a signature yeah. race. <laughs> like that's like, it's a thing. So for so long, people didn't realize when you were doing so well at Worlds in the 50 fly, they're like, oh, we're getting a medal from Farida in the Olympics. But yeah. that race doesn't even exist in the Olympics, which yeah. is a bummer. But you are trying to go to the, your fourth Olympics, which is already yes. also remarkable. So I remember 2012, because I spoke to you before that, and it was such, it was a last minute thing. You didn't know you were going. Yeah. They were filling the, the kind of the spots. <laughs> filling and, the blank. Yeah. yeah. And then they were like, oh, okay, Farida, you were going to make it. You were in yeah. the States with your parents, like on holiday and suddenly yeah. uh, make it to yeah. London now. I remember that very well. Um, I know. So I can imagine that first one was just literally you like dipping your toes and in, in, in the whole thing. And, and that was new, but. If you look at the, we're going to talk about Tokyo separately, but like with, with London and Rio, uh, 2012 and 2016, what were some of the standout moments, whether related to the pool or away from the pool, like in the village, anything? What are some of your standout memories from those first two Olympics? So London, obviously, like you said, I was not that prepared. Like I was in New York visiting my brother and like literally about to take a break from swimming because... I was not chosen to go. So I was like, you know what? I have a break. I have a like free summer for the first time in a few years. So might as well just go and enjoy. And then literally when we're there, like two weeks in, I haven't swam in two weeks. <laughs> and then we get a call saying, you need to come back to Egypt because you're going to the <laughs> Obviously, I will not decline this spot. I wanted to go so badly, even for the first time, just to go for the experience and just to watch people around, like how they race, how they eat, how they sleep. Just being in that Olympic village, I think, obviously going without any expectations to perform or anything just to represent Egypt was such an honor for me. And I think like I took that opportunity to try to learn as much as I can in that experience. And then going into Rio, having that London experience just helped me understand what I'm going into. Like, I know what to expect. And I think, like, usually the first one, like, first Olympics is, it definitely takes you back. Like, it's just, there's so many new things going on around you, not really aware of. So I was glad that I was able to do that in London. And so that didn't take away from Rio. And I think Rio was, like, my best performance swimming wise and I was a junior in college and I semi-finaled in the 100 fly and I think I went best times in the 53 and the 100 fly see like after a few years oh you forget all the time I'll double check but I think but I think like Rio was like a really good experience because in the technical like swimming side I was proud of how I showed up I was still young I think I was 21 and like going through like prelims semifinals and just like that morning and afternoon swim just like you also get to learn so much about yourself and I was in college and like 
having that few years of training from college really showed up in Rio. So I was really happy with my performance there. Obviously, I wanted to final, but, you know, there's <laughs> like step by step. You can't just go from zero to 100. And I think go like after my Rio performance, I was very confident to go into Tokyo, <laughs> to the Tokyo Olympics. And that's like a different story. <laughs> that is. But uh, for me, uh, the Tokyo story is very important for several reasons. The I would like you to explain the pre, the build up to it, which included COVID and, and, and the mm-hmm. postponement yeah. and changing location. But also, which I also was very closely following you after Tokyo, it was remarkable for to see how you rebounded from that. So people, I don't think everyone understands what it means to have a disappointment. And then still a few months later, I see you in Abu Dhabi killing it in the world championship. So yeah. let's talk pre-Tokyo. I would love it if you can try and I know you told me this story before. I want the world to hear it from you. Just first of all, when you graduate, I from college I think you have a, another year of eligibility or something and then you need to figure out what to do how does it work no back then it was only four years of eligibility so once you were done you're like pretty much a professional swimmer now so you just either stay or go somewhere else to train it was really up to you okay so what did you do I think for me after I stayed an extra year at Cal to train as a professional And then after that, I realized I just want to change. And I think my body wanted change. Swimming is pretty much a very boring sport, to be honest. Doing everything repetitively when you already know what's coming is predictable. I just felt like I needed change. And this is when I realized, like, I want to try out a different coach. And this is when I went to Virginia Tech to swim um, with Sergio. And I've stayed there from 2019 until covid And I think like I was training there. I think like I was really excited about the new training, but I realized like I'm the type of swimmer who needs to recharge and be happy outside of swimming so I can perform. Like I need to be social. I need to do some fun things. I can't just have swimming like everything mentally. I just need something different to check out a little bit. And I think Virginia did not give me that. And I think this is where I realized I was really struggling And at the same time, COVID hit Feb- March 2020, and we were all training to prepare for the Olympics. I think this is the best physically and mentally during that time, my best, or like that's the best I've ever been. Like I was really proud and like happy with my progress so far going into Tokyo 2020. And I think COVID, and then COVID hit, and then everything just <laughs> went south like olympics was canceled i have i had to like go back home remember we couldn't really find flights anywhere we would all have to i was coming from the u.s so we all had to fly into dc because i was the only flight available and then i went home and then i stayed home from april to september that's what six months five months and i think then we couldn't really train because it was COVID. So obviously my performance and my fitness is going to go down. It's just like out of my control. But I did my best to stay in shape and did different things to keep myself busy and in shape. But again, it's not the same as training in like a system, like a routine fixed schedule kind of thing. Anyway, like September comes, I moved back to the US to Virginia to train for the Tokyo 2021 Olympics. 
And I think like, you know how our bodies are like a machine. You try to prepare every bit of it. So when the time comes, you perform your best. You take care of your nutrition, your sleep, your recovery, even your training and your mental aspect of it. My machine was ready to go in Tokyo 2020. So with the postponement that added another year of this intense environment. And I think like with COVID, it was really hard because we couldn't do much. Like we literally just had to be there at a certain time and leave because like we can't really overlap with other people. And it was just like a lot of changes and a lot of unknown. And this is when I realized like mentally, I don't think I, <laughs> I'm doing great. Like no matter what I did, no matter what I'm doing, like physically in practice, I was doing so well. Like the physical aspect of my training was doing so well. But mentally, I was like, you know what? No, it's fine. It's fine. I can do this. One last month and then we'll be fine. I can do this. And then when I went to Tokyo Olympics, it wasn't even like a normal Olympics. Like we were all stuck in the Olympic Village. We had to test every day. We didn't have spectators. So going from London to Rio to no spectators. And these are a lot of changes. You don't really realize how much it affects you until you're done with it. And after realizing you went to two others with a different experience, different crowd, just like, it is something that helps with your swimming and your racing. And then I didn't perform well. <laughs> like I did not swim well. I did not go even to like best time. So I think that was really hard. And I think like after feeling that you like sacrifice so much and you put in a lot of work and commitment and discipline to like really perform your best and it doesn't come obviously you're upset you as a swimmer as a person as a human being you get upset because you know all of the hard work and the effort you've put into this and it didn't come so after that I obviously got a lot of backlash of like my performance yeah. I really want to like, talk to you about that just, I don't think people understand yeah. the, the degree to the extent that I actually interviewed you while you were in Tokyo about how horrible people were, not just to you, to most Egyptian athletes. It wasn't just you, but of course, with you, there is a certain level of expectation. Can you tell me a little bit uh, what happened when you were in Tokyo? Did you know that the reaction was that bad? So I... Like I, during my race, I would turn the week of the Olympics, I would turn off my social media. I wouldn't even turn it on because it's the distraction for me. But once I was done, I was able to see and read and realize like, like literally it was so much backlash. And I like, I understand I didn't do well, but like they've disregarded everything else I've did. I've done throughout my career, like before, like I felt like that performance really defined me. And I think that's what made me angrier. I'm like, you guys don't understand what I've done to be at this level. Like I'm away from my family. I'm in a different country. Like I'm training my best. I've stayed an extra year to be my best, perform my best. Like, obviously I am upset that I didn't get, you know, the time that I wanted or the rank that I wanted. But like, I think the amount of backlash is when I realized moving forward I would not care as much about what others are saying about me, even if like outside of my circle, outside of my support system. And I think after Tokyo going into Abu Dhabi, uh, short course world championships, and then Budapest in June, world championships, long course, I think that season was more of, I don't want to say redemption, but it was just like, 
I believe in myself. I know this was just a mishap, but this does not define me or my swimming career. I will show you guys what I'm capable of. <laughs> you felt <laughs> like you had something to prove, even if exactly that, that kind of gave you that urge, right? Yeah, it gave me that fire of just like, I just had that fire that I'm going to like train like twice as hard now just to show you guys. And this is when like I went best times in both of my events after. And then people don't even know that the 50 fly are not in, it's not in the Olympics. It's not. World Championship is equally as hard, by the way. It's just same people, which is a different venue. And I think not having the 50 fly and then going into the 100 fly, also that's a, a completely different training that I've been going through just to be my best. And like they just thought because I medaled in 2019, so I'm going to medal at the Olympics. And it's not the case. Like even going into Paris, like, I need to keep reminding people that the 50 fly is not in the Olympics. It's not the Olympics. You can't put the same expectation on me. I'm training for the 100 fly. I'm training for the 50 free. But the performance in, obviously, I want to perform my best, but they're just not the same as the 50 fly. So before, before your quote unquote redemption tour, which I'll talk a little bit more about because there's a fun anecdote from Abu Dhabi that I want to tell people about. But before that, did you allow yourself to wallow? Was there like a really low point before the up? Like, how did you get through? How bad did it get? Did you even think of stopping? Yeah, I think after Tokyo and receiving all this backlash, I moved back home. This is when I was like, I'm done with Virginia. I can't go back there. I need to be home with my family and have that support system just to recharge i need to disconnect i need to not think about swimming for the next month i literally took a month and a half off from swimming and that was like a big deal for me because i don't i've never taken a month and a half off from swimming and i honestly feel like in the beginning of it it was so hard like i didn't want to go outside i was scared of what people might tell me or my how people might view me and like i was not enjoying that summer at all and I think what really helped me is the belief in myself and my family believing in me but also the support that I got from family and friends and like they kind of reminded me why or like how I got to where I was and I think like we even had to watch a few race videos online just to you know get that encouragement and motivation back kind of thing but, like, I would literally sometimes just cry myself to sleep. I know, like, it's funny now, but it wasn't funny then at all. And then going into the next season, I knew I didn't want to go to the U.S. because mentally I was just, like, I was really tired. I just needed to be home and train. And this is when I trained with Coach Chief Habib. I was, again, training alone, which is also really hard. And, like, putting in my own system in place here at home so I can have that emotional support and find that balance of keeping my training how it's, it was. So, like, creating my own system here at home. So, like, finding a coach, finding a weight coach, finding a masseuse, like, finding a lot of things that I had in the U.S. to have it here in Egypt to have my own system that would work going into Abu Dhabi and... Budapest 2022. So in Abu Dhabi, I remember I interviewed you before the championships because you were an ambassador. So you were one of the faces of the championships. And you said, I'm going pressure free. I'm, I'm not going to put a lot of expectations, but I also haven't swum best times in a long time. And I want to do that. And then I saw you between two of your semifinals. 
you had seven minutes. This is this for me was fascinating. I, I don't think people yeah. understand what it means to compete in multiple events. And I think the schedule was brutal for you because the hundred fly in 53, if I'm not mistaken, right. they were yeah. seven minutes apart. So I saw you run out. You have to, usually you come to, you pass by the mix zone, which is where journalists are waiting yeah. for you. But I knew you had yeah. another race. I was like, I'm, I'm going to stay away. You're trying to make a final. <laughs> but I yeah. saw you rush out of the pool. You had just locked your spot in the final of, I think, the 100 fly. The 100 fly. Which yeah. is huge, right? Because that's the race. First of all, I remember you said that you went to Virginia because one of the reasons you wanted to work with Sergio Lopez, the coach there, is that he would help you improve your 100 fly, which is the yes. dedication that you've already been doing this for years and you still want to go out of your way to improve something else. I think that's big. But then you make the final in the 100 fly and you have seven minutes and then you go to the, the physio. I forget his name now, but he's a lovely person. Yeah. Uh, what's the name of the physio? Uh, Hayoui. We, we Hayoui. call him Hayoui. Which is, yeah, means the magician, kind of like the magician yeah. Uh, yeah, or talisman or something. So, so you go yeah. to him literally for seven minutes. He's like trying to help you just with any shape or form to, to you uh, massage yeah. your arm or this or that. And I took a photo just because I hope I can include it in this. Like you're yeah. on the floor for just a few minutes and then you ran back to the pool and did the 53 semi. So I thought that was like in so intense. Yeah. But then you achieved what you wanted. You, you swam best times. And then Budapest, you broke the hundred, the African record and the hundred fly, right? Twice in that. I know that now it's no, not yours anymore, but we'll get to that. <laughs> but, but re- I'm the 50 fly too, yeah. True, right? So 50 fly, 100 yeah. fly, you set your African records. Tell, tell me just how it felt when you, after Budapest, how did that feel? 2022, it's a year after the Olympics and you've done that. How did that feel? It was honest. It was a very proud moment. I was really proud of myself from being, like I don't want to say rock bottom, but like I was at such low point in my life, and to be able to get up and perform my best, I was really proud of that. And I know I've I haven't done it alone. Like I've had support from my family and friends, like even my coach and everyone just still believed in me to perform, and I did. So it was something like. As a thank you to everyone who helped me come out of the low. And I think, like, obviously the media now started to give me more attention and everyone is so nice now. And I'm like, you know what? It's always going to be like that. When you're on top, they want to be next to you. When you're like at the bottom, they don't want to talk to you. So I just accepted that and just realized, like, as long as I'm a good person and, like, I have you know, like people who love me and support me, I think that's what's the most important thing at the end. Like you need to be happy with yourself and the rest is eventually going to go away one way or another. So world championships this year, because obviously because of the COVID thing, there were back-to-back years with world champs. So you you were in Japan this year. And again, you swam really well. You come fourth in your race how heartbreaking is fourth? I'm just curious, like at this point in your career, having gone through it all, you, I know that athletes try to detach themselves from, you don't put your worth with results because if you do that, it's going to be heartbreaking the whole time. But fourth yeah. means literally just like a whisker away from the podium. <laughs> uh, how, how, how did you view uh, Japan, the world championships this year? I think like overall, like I was proud of myself because again the consistency takes so much and I think like being able to be in the top four for the past six years 
So that's something I should be proud of. Obviously, I wanted to get a medal, but I think like just having a different, like taking a step back and having a perspective of like how that season was going, I think like training alone was also really hard for me because you can do it for a season, obviously. And then another season, it is doable. But I think like with swimming, it just takes a lot out of you. And I think like afterwards, I realized I need to be training with my team again. I miss that feeling of having a team and I miss that feeling of racing each other in practice and having people push you and like cheer for you. I think I've reached my maximum here in Egypt with what I have. And this is where I wanted to be. Okay, Paris is coming up. We, I Mentally, emotionally, psychologically, I want to be happy and enjoying swimming. And I feel like I'm going to be the happiest around a team and like a place where I really had great success. And like California is obviously a really nice state. Like there are fun things to do. And this is when I real like this is when I knew I wanted to go back to Cal and train there and be with my teammates and go back to something that I'm familiar with. So you're back in Cal now. I know you're I mean you're currently in Cairo, but you are back in Cal. Do you just call them up and be like, hey, I wanna come? And they're like, Yeah, sure, or how does it work? <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, I even saw some of my teammates from Cal and I miss them so much and I it was such a nice encounter and this is when I started thinking my God, what if I go back to Cal? How fun would that be? So I reach out to the coach. So now Dave Durden, who was the men's coach, is now coaching both men and women. So I reach out to him and tell him, look, I'm going to be honest with you. Like training alone really sucks. And I think like mentally, I can't take it anymore. So I was wondering if it would be a possibility for me to come back to train with you guys for the Olympic season coming up. And honestly, he was so nice. He was very welcoming. Obviously, he was telling me, this is your second home. You can come back anytime. Literally, no. Literally, he did not hesitate once. Just like he was very nice about it and very welcoming. And one of my teammates, I, I don't know if you know her, but Abby White. So she is a U.S. Olympian and she's also there. So I figured like people who swim the same thing, have the same mentality and mindset towards racing and competing internationally was also a very big bonus. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to come back. <laughs> that is awesome. It's like a full circle, but I, I like that. Yeah, literally, literally a full circle. <laughs> so just going back to the African record of the 100th fly, I know that Aaron Gallagher uh, has broken it. Does that kind of stuff bug you? Do you want to make sure that to get it back somehow? Or is, it, is it a motivation or um, what's it like? Yeah, it is for sure motivation because obviously I'm very competitive and I think a lot of swimmers are very competitive. So the fact that she took it by 0.01 in the hunter fly, obviously it just stings me a little bit. But you know what? It's okay. I'll get it back eventually. <laughs> I'll give it to her for a few months. <laughs> I love that it matters to you considering you, you there are so many African records. And I went and looked and there's quite a bunch and short course and long course and everything. So... Uh, You'll get it back. Uh, I like that. Um, so I am curious, what what would you wish you had known when you were younger? Now that you're 28 now, is there anything you feel that, okay, with everything I've learned, I wish I had known that when I was younger? I think the one thing is I was a little too harsh 
on myself. Like I think some things when you're young, you're not really aware. You're not really aware of like how tiny this is compared to other things. I think I learned throughout that I'm gonna ask myself, is this gonna bother me in ten years? <laughs> And if it's a yes, then I should probably stress about it and worry about it and try to fix it. But if it's a no, I literally just let it go. Even if that's something that's making me upset or sad about a race, I give myself 24 hours to really be sad about it, let all my tears out and just cry it out, let my anger out. But after 24 hours, 24 hours, I just flip the page. So I think like learning that sooner, obviously when you're younger, you don't really know that. But I think... If I knew that younger, maybe my journey would have been a little easier, I would say. <laughs> like, just like, I think I was very stubborn too. Just, no, it has to go this way. Like, otherwise, I'm not going to perform. But I think, like, you can reach a certain goal or, like, a destination in so many different ways. It doesn't have to be, like, one plus one equals two. Sadly, with swimming, there is no formula. I wish there was, like... Literally one season I could be do something be doing something and the the next season something completely different and just get you know different results as we go. So the thing is just being maybe less fixated with a plan and being stubborn about following it without opening my eyes to the bigger picture and not being sad about the tiniest things. <laughs> <laughs> I know hindsight is twenty twenty, right? It's easy to say that now, but I'm sure. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but also in a way, every I I feel every successful athlete I've ever spoken to, there is a common thread of every tough thing they've went through. They somehow, even if it wasn't immediate, even if it came later, it kind of contributed to them succeeding later. But it's so difficult sure. when you're going through it. I'm sure I I wouldn't even exactly. know how that is. Yeah. Uh, do you, yeah. Do you, where do you feel you're at right now in terms of your swimming? Do you feel you're back to your best, or do you feel you're even better, or do you feel the best is yet to come? Like, how are you seeing it? So right now, I went back to Cal and I'm training there, and I think that um, just like being in a different environment, I know it's familiar, but like going back to that, and I think my body just adjusting to that. I think mentally, because I'm a lot happier with my swimming and just like people with me on the team and having teammates and just like we're all going through the same lifestyle together. I think that's definitely better than last season. And I think that for sure is going to help me perform better. And I think like Obviously, right now, I'm 28. I've done my fair share of different training and learning what works for me, what doesn't work for me. I think just as I matured in the sport, I know more what works for me personally. So having that experience and like wisdom <laughs> with mentally being happy around a team is definitely going in the right direction of where I want to be in Paris. In terms of working with a sports psychologist, having gone through everything, is that something you're constantly doing even when you're... Because I feel like sports psychology now, it's almost like a, it helps being a preventative thing. It's, it's even when you're on a high, you still need to work on it. Is that something you do? And in what way is it helping you? 
Yeah, I for sure still talk to my sports psychologist. I think it's very important to have one because in your life, in your season, you're going to go through so many things. There hasn't been one season that I haven't gone through something. It could be something big, something small, but I think just having someone there to guide you through it, even to just talk it out, sometimes it helps. I think that is very important and especially going into Paris Olympics, I think coming up with the pressure and expectations and like after what I went through Tokyo I think it's good to have someone there guide you through it I know that in different phases in your career probably different people have inspired you I'm just wondering is there anyone in particular whether another athlete in the sport outside the sport not even an athlete someone who has said something that resonated with you or someone who's kind of inspiring you at the moment I honestly feel like Ons, Ons Jabeur, the tennis player, has really inspired me. I think just having a Tunisian woman who's like Arab and Muslim and also just representing really well, like even outside of what she's doing with tennis, like I think her as a person is really inspiring with like how she carries herself. Just obviously I don't know her personally, but just like looking from the outside, I think she's a very good role model to have for people to see and get inspired by and to look up to. And I think she really inspires me to keep pushing. You know, obviously we all have that competitive side of like, we always want to be our best. So I think she does a really good job, even with the setbacks and even with not going through the next match, she's still getting up and fighting back. And I think that's very inspiring. And I think sometimes I just think that into my swimming and fight back. Keep fighting until we get what we want. I think she's going to be very happy to hear that because also <laughs> she really does wear her heart on her sleeve and like she doesn't shy away from like crying on the big stage and, and sharing how she feels oh, and, and everyone yeah. like sobs with her. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say you could really feel like she's very genuine. It's what you see is what you get kind of thing and I think sometimes with athletes you miss that, you miss seeing that because the more you grow, the more same you get the more persona you have to have to put on but I think with her it's just very transparent and genuine and I think that's very inspiring. So one of the things obviously she's recently done with what's happening in Gaza and the war and everything is that like she she broke down on the court right she couldn't like she couldn't help it just from how she felt about everything that was happening and I asked Lewis Hamilton about this just a couple like a few weeks ago at the Formula One where I was telling him how can he like be in Formula One and racing and it's a big show and there's so many, it's like a party, right? While all this is happening and he's also paying attention to it, how does he reconcile both things? And he said it's mentally draining. It's sometimes difficult to wake up in the morning to see all that. I'm sure that affects you too because sport is not isolated from what's happening in the world, right? How Has that been difficult? It has been difficult, especially that I'm in the US too, just surrounded by what's happening in the US I think that's really hard and I think for me I felt alone in a bit for the first few months because no one really was talking about Palestine and no one was really talking about what's actually happening I think in the US people are like misinformed and like they're not really aware of what's going on like even like some of my teammates are not even like how you don't have any awareness of what's happening in the world and it's really hard to sit down and have a conversation about that because they don't even get that. Like, they don't even get that kind of information. And I think that's really hard. And this is when I, like, leaned on my family to try to talk about it because I needed to talk it out. Like, I can't just see all of this and not get affected. Like, 
I'm a human being and what is happening is not okay. And I think just like, in a way, just trying, the hard thing about sports is just like, you still need to perform. And I think like people expect of you to perform no matter what's happening in the world. As much as I'm supporting and I'm donating and I'm like doing everything on my part, because like I am supportive of Palestine and what's going on is just sometimes I just feel like I don't know what else to do. And it's like really sad and hard. And especially like when you see all of that online, it's like, how is the world silent in a way? Or like, how is the world not changing? It's just like, it also creates anger, but I think I've managed to find a way to still show up to my responsibilities and my commitments and my job kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I ask this to everyone I'm interviewing on this podcast because it, everyone places their own expectations as fans. We do that, right? If even you're cheering on a team, like, oh, I don't know, I want Liverpool to win every year. You put these random expectations without knowing what's going on inside. I want to know for you, what would make you walk away from Paris feeling, okay, this was a success? I think just going my best times. I don't want to put like a rank or a place. I think once I just focus on my time, everything else is going to work itself out. So I think going best times would make me really happy and do and knowing that I've done my best going into it. I like that. Yeah, I like that. I, I hope you, you you keep remembering that, and that when the no yeah. when it gets noisier <laughs> and the pressure goes yeah, up, yeah, I'm sure it's gonna start getting noisy soon. <laughs> but but no, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. I think this Thank was really you. insightful, and I hope that when people hear about all this, they kind of start understanding a little bit more what an athlete goes through to be at that elite level. And enjoy yeah. Cairo and enjoy Cal, Sunny California. I'm, I'm really happy that you're back there. And uh, yeah, we'll speak thank soon. You. Thanks, Farida. Yes, thank you so much. This was a truly insightful episode with Farida, who I felt was very open about the psychological roller coaster that comes with being a professional swimmer. Our conversation was a welcome reminder that we hardly ever know the full story before placing judgment on an athlete. And we are sometimes too quick to pile on the pressure, irrespective of the circumstances. We'll be taking a short break before returning with brand new episodes of Uptown next month. In the meantime, check out our previous episodes if you haven't already, and let us know who you'd like us to speak to in upcoming conversations. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Reem Abumil, and this was Uptown. To listen to the other episodes in this series, be sure to follow this channel and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other major podcasting platform.